Father God, we thank you very much for your word that you speak to us and address us through it today, personally, by your spirit. And certainly in this chapter, teach us everything that we need to know about life in this world before your second coming. And pray, Father, each and every one of us would heed the warning that you have for us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I don't know if you came across the news article this week about a Scottish tourist who is suspected to have um, died off the coast of Madagascar in a shark attack um, because um, a severed hand and wedding ring um, was found in the stomach uh, of a shark. Um, police don't know, you know what happened exactly, whether the man is um, still alive or has died, haven't found his body yet. Um, but what they are absolutely sure of are the multiple warning signs up and down the west coast of this island telling people not to swim in this particular area because of previous shark attacks. So concerned are the Madagascan authorities that people know about this that they even have multiple warning signs in the airport as well. But for whatever reason, it seems that this man either did not see the signs or just ignored the signs or did not think that these warning signs applied to him. But tragically, they very much did. Now, as we come to Mark chapter 13, Jesus gives us today multiple warning signs. Glance down at verse 5. Watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 9. You must be on your guard. Verse 23. So be on your guard. Verse 33. Be on your guard. Be alert. Verse 35. Therefore keep watch. Verse 37. What I say to you, disciples, I say to everyone, watch. By my count, there are 19 imperatives in this chapter alone. 19 commands for us to do something. And so all this talk about the destruction of the temple and the end of the world and the signs for it, they are not merely here to satisfy our intellectual curiosity, for us to speculate about the future. They are calling us to urgent action now. We need to heed the warning of this chapter if tragedy is not to befall us like it did that Scottish tourist. Now, let me say something about the structure of this chapter because these are notoriously difficult verses. A lot of the difficulty comes from trying to work out which verses refer to the destruction of the temple and which verses refer to the end of the world. Some commentators suggest that Jesus is only talking about the destruction of the temple, but then they struggle to make sense of verses 24 to 27, which seem to refer to a cosmic, cataclysmic, end-of-world event. Other commentators suggest that Jesus is only talking about the end of the world, but then they struggle to make sense of verses 5 to 23, which seem to refer to a localized event with this description of those in Judea, verse 14, fleeing to the mountains. 
And so the majority of scholars think that Jesus is actually speaking about both events at the same time. But then they struggle to know which verses correspond to which of the two events exactly. Now, for what it's worth, and I'd love to hear your thoughts afterwards, my view is that broadly speaking, broadly speaking, because it's not completely neat, broadly speaking, verses 5 to 23, these things refer to the destruction of the temple. Then verses 24 to 27, in those days, flips forward to the end of the world. Verses 28 to 31, these things again refer back to the destruction of the temple. And then verses 32 to 37, in those days, flips forward again to the end of the world. And so, what Jesus is doing here is deliberately interweaving these two events together. The end of the temple and the end of the world. They are connected. What we learn about one, we learn about the other. And the question is, what do we learn about them? And how are they a warning to us today? Let's find out. First, judgment is certain. Judgment is certain. We're told in verse 1 that all this was happening as Jesus was leaving the temple, which is not just a physical description but in the context of Mark's gospel, a symbolic description of Jesus' utter rejection of and condemnation of the religious abuse and religious hypocrisy and temporal religion of the time. If you've been following our series, you will know in chapter 11, the temple has been turned into a den of robbers. In chapter 12, the religious leaders have rejected Jesus' authority as the Son of God, as the Messiah, And so now, Jesus rejects them. He leaves the temple, never to return again, and now describes this judgment in the most concrete of terms in verse 2. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus, particularly referencing the temple? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Judgment is coming. Now, you might think that Jesus is exaggerating somewhat here with his description in verse 2 of not one stone being left on another. Um, We still have surviving fragments in the city of the London Wall all the way back from the 3rd century. Still got some stones on top of the other. Is Jesus really meaning this total, complete, utter devastation that leaves not one stone, not two stones together? Listen to these words from the Jewish historian Josephus. Of the war, book 7, chapter 3, about the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Romans. Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no ground for believing that it had ever been inhabited. Complete and utter destruction, just as Jesus said would happen. 
Jesus also says in verse 30 that this destruction of the temple would happen within the lifetime of the disciples. Truly I tell you, he says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. These things referring to the destruction of the temple. In the Bible, a generation is about 40 years. Think of the, in the Old Testament, Israel wandering around in the wilderness for a generation for 40 years. Jesus speaking in AD 33, do you know which year the temple was destroyed by the Romans according to Josephus? AD 70. Within 40 years, again, just as Jesus predicted. Now you say, what's all the relevance for this today? This is back in the AD 70. This concerns the temple. There are two judgments going on in this chapter. Judgment on the temple, then judgment on the whole world. The judgment on the temple has already happened just as Jesus said it would. What do you think is going to happen next? Take a look at verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. A cosmic cataclysmic end-of-world event. The astronomical language that Jesus is using here comes from Isaiah chapter 13. You can see that from the footnote. That's where we had that as our Old Testament reading, where we are told that on that day, God will punish the whole world for its evil and the wicked for its sin. He will put an end once and for all to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of of the ruthless. Here is Jesus predicting, stating, declaring a final and definitive judgment on the whole world. Now that has huge relevance for us today. One of the lessons I'm learning as a parent is the importance of consistency in discipline, doing what I said I would do. There is no point in me threatening consequences for bad behavior, I need to follow through with those consequences. Otherwise, the kids will think they can get away with things and carry on as usual. When Jesus comes in judgment on the temple in AD 70, he is giving us the ultimate example of following through. A real space-time historical proof that there will be consequences, ultimate consequences, to all our sin. Whether religious abuses, religious hypocrisy, going on in the temple at that time, or any form of rejecting Jesus' authority today, he will not let us get away with it forever. Judgment is coming. A final judgment is certain. Now look, over the past 10 years or so, there have been horrific reports of child abuse scandals in the Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, and forms of abuse close to home even within the evangelical constituency in this country. At best, leaders turn a blind eye. At worst, they try to cover it up. And it is scandalous. And if you ever think to yourself, you know, what is Jesus going to do about it? Then Mark chapter 13 cannot be any clearer. He will judge it. 
and you can be certain of it. But it's not just institutions like the temple back then, the church today. Jesus just said he's going to judge the whole world. He's going to judge everyone. Every proud thought, every arrogant word, every act of rejecting Jesus' authority. Judgment is coming on the whole world. Now look, even as you say that, I mean, it can, to some people it sounds ridiculous. The end of the world, judgment day. Perhaps you think it's a bit ridiculous, sounds a bit ridiculous at times. People all around us are living as they please, thinking there are no ultimate consequences for their actions, that if God is real, they'll be okay. But if there is any doubt in our minds today as to the certainty of this future final judgment, then all we have to do is look back at AD 70 and see what happened to the temple. It was completely and utterly destroyed. Jump on a plane to Israel. See for yourself. That temple has never been rebuilt. All that remains is the Wailing Wall. That's not even part of the temple wall. It was an outside retaining wall. Judgment is coming. It is certain. It came on the temple. It's coming on the whole world. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Watch out. First, judgment is certain. Secondly, judgment is unbearable. Take a look at verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. You may have noticed that that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation, is in quotation marks. It comes from the book of Daniel. Again, the footnote tells us that. Where in chapter 11, Daniel prophesies about foreign armies invading Jerusalem, desecrating the temple, abolishing the daily sacrifice, and setting up in its place an abomination that causes desolation. In the original context, this would have referred to Antiochus IV in 168 BC, erected an altar in the temple to the pagan god Zeus and sacrificed pigs on it. Absolute abomination. But Jesus is now saying that another abomination is coming. And that is exactly what happened in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. Listen to these words again from Josephus. The Romans, upon the burning of the holy house itself and of all the buildings round about it, brought their ensigns to the temple and set them over against its eastern gate and there did they offer sacrifices to them. Josephus also describes the horrors of the siege of Jerusalem under the Roman general Titus who basically starved the city into subjection before raising it to the ground. He writes, this is 
very um, sober and grim reading. Then did the famine widen its progress and devoured the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children dying of starvation. The lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the aged. The children and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with famine, and fell down dead wheresoever their misery seized them. As for burying them, those that were sick themselves were not able to do it, and those that were hearty and well were deterred by the great multitude of the dead and the uncertainty when they would die themselves. For many died as they were burying others, and many went to their own coffins before the fatal hour. There was no lamentation made under these calamities. The famine confounded all natural passions. A deep silence and a kind of deadly night seized the city. What a horrific description of what happened in AD 70. And the destruction of the temple. Judgment is unbearable. And that is why Jesus warns his hearers about it. Flee to the mountains. Don't even go back to your house. Don't pick up your cloak. Do you see his concern, his compassion for pregnant women nursing mothers? How dreadful it will be for them. Pray that this doesn't happen in winter. Avoid this judgment at all costs. Over half term, we drove up to the Lake District, which is a five-hour drive on a good run. We left at 3 p.m. on Saturday, which is right in the middle of the afternoon slump when you feel sluggish after lunch. I was driving through London fine, but then the M1 and then the M6 and the monotony of the motorway, it was so hard to stay awake. We took a break. Now, Joe and I took turns driving, my wife and I. But at one stage, it was my turn, all four kids were asleep. Joe was asleep. I was driving. I was chewing gum. I had the aircon blasting in my face. I had the music on. But still, the car drifted slightly to the left. Suddenly, there was that da 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 da, -da as the car veered over those, what are they called? Rumble strips on the side of the road. And I can tell you, it gave me the shock of my life. The noise, the vibrations that literally shake you to the core. But the thought I had, like, what am I doing with my wife and my kids in the car next to me? You know, and straight away I woke Joe up, we stopped at the next services, we swapped over and everything was okay. These verses that we have just looked at are given to us as, well, as a rumble strip to our souls. They are there to shake us to the core. They are there to wake us up. What am I doing? When this sort of judgment is coming upon the whole world. You think AD 70 was bad. You wait till the stars are falling from the sky and the whole cosmos is being shaken. Be on your guard. Jesus says in verse 23, I have told you everything in advance. Judgment is certain. Judgment is unbearable. Therefore, keep watch.
Have a look at verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Verse 35. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The Jehovah's Witnesses predicted that the world would end in 1878. Obviously, it didn't. That didn't stop them trying to predict it again. 1881, wrong. 1914, wrong. 1918, 1925, 1975, all wrong. You won't be surprised to hear that they've now stopped trying to predict the end of the world, and with good reason. Because Jesus himself says, no one knows the hour. Not even him. But that doesn't mean we can't get ready for his return, because he is coming suddenly, verse 36. And we get this reassuring description in verses 26 to 27 of the Son of Man, a description of Jesus, coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will gather his elect, those who trust in him, from the ends of the earth. In other words, the one main way you can be ready for Jesus' return, ready to be safe on judgment day, is to trust and believe in him. Now we've been seeing throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one with all rule, power, and authority did not come to earth to be served like all other rulers, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in a couple of chapters' time, that is exactly what Jesus will do as he is hung on a cross to die. And the sun is darkened. Darkness over the whole world, whole land, for three hours as God's judgment falls not on humanity, but on Jesus Christ. An unbearable judgment, an infinite judgment, as Jesus, the Son, from all eternity, perfectly loved by his Father, is torn from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was forsaken in our place. Yours and mine, do you see? Jesus wants us to avoid judgment at all costs, at such cost that he will even go to his own death for you. Trust in him. Believe in him. You'll be absolutely safe on judgment day. If you're someone here looking into Christian things, perhaps you're new to them, this is the first time you're here, it is great to have you with us. Jesus says this is the one way to avoid judgment day. Trust in him. Follow him. Now, of course, most of us here are Christians, do trust in Jesus Christ. Did you notice how much emphasis Jesus puts on living for him in the here and now? In verses 5 to 8, he warns against deception. Let me just read out those verses again. Verse 5, watch out now, in the here and now, that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You know, people point to tsunamis, 9-11s, 7-7s, and say, these are signs that the end is nigh, that it's the end of the world. Climate change, extinction rebellion, the rise of ISIS. Whenever the third world war comes, that will be the end. Jesus says, no, it won't. These are just the beginning of birth pains. Don't be deceived. Keep trusting in me. And then in verses 9 to 13, Jesus warns us of persecution. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now we need to remember that Jesus is referring primarily here to the time before AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. And again, it is amazing how accurate his predictions are based on what we know from the book of Acts and Roman and Jewish sources. But remember, Jesus is interweaving these two events together. And the end of the temple and the end of the world. And actually, these, a few of these applications still hold for us today. First, the gospel still needs to be preached to all nations. That is the only way your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors can be saved from the judgment to come. Can I ask, how are you getting on with that? Taking the gospel to all nations. That is how we can watch out, be on guard. That is what Jesus calls us to do. And as we do that, he says we will suffer for it. There is no doubt that Christianity is the most persecuted group in the world right now. Yes, we enjoy substantial privileges in this country, but across the world, people are being handed over to authorities they are being flogged, they're being betrayed, they are being killed. And it's easy to think when these things happen that God has lost control. But I hope you can see he hasn't. Jesus predicted it all in advance. Nothing has gone wrong. Be on your guard, stand firm to the end, keep trusting in me, keep preaching the gospel, no matter what comes your way. I wonder if there are two equal dangers when it comes to the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. One, we just get obsessed by it, speculate about it, look at the signs, get all focused in that, and we just lose sight of what we're meant to be doing here and now, trusting Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel, standing firm to the end. On the other extreme, we just lose sight of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Admits smelly nappies, work deadlines, daily chores, and just everything that is coming at us in the here and now. And so Jesus gives us this passage to wake us up, to warn us, remind us, judgment is certain, judgment is unbearable. Therefore, keep watch. Trust in me. Preach the gospel. Whatever comes your way, Stand firm to the end. Now, what is it going to look like for you, practically, in the week ahead to put this into practice, to be on guard, to watch?
Well, let me pray that for you now. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for this passage. It is hard-hitting. It is strong language. It is about judgment, but we need to hear it because we lose sight of it or we get too obsessed by it. But you call us to urgent action now, to trust in you if we've not done so already, to not be deceived if we have, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, no matter what comes our way as a result. Please would you help each and every one of us this day, this week, to watch out, to be on guard, and to stand firm to the end. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.